0: You're listening to the Fuck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: What is the Republican Party going to do? What does it mean to be a Republican today? These are all questions that people are posing with some frequency, considering that we've had a rough go over the last few months, haven't we? Let's just all say it. It has not been what we were planning on. Donald Trump is not president anymore. Democrats have control of the House and the Senate. You know how this all goes. And we haven't heard from Trump in a while. And that has meant that the media has been able to construct this narrative of a Republican party that is about to either go into tremendous fracture, a a GOP civil war, as they're calling it, or that will just start to fade into irrelevancy. Donald Trump showed up at CPAC. I was down there in Florida. And and here's what he said about what it means right now for the GOP. What is the GOP? Play 16.
2: The future of the Republican Party is as a party that defends the social, economic and cultural interests and values of working American families of every race, color and creed. That's why the party is growing so rapidly and it's becoming a different party. And it's becoming a party of love. You have to see outside the streets. I mean, there's such love. The flag.
1: Party of love. That was Trump being Trump. But I do think that, that ultimately we should start to em- embrace the idea that the Republican Party is about making this country better for all people and that our ideas are, in fact, rooted in care and consideration for our fellow human beings, right? I I want safer streets for everybody. I want better and cheaper health care options for everybody. I I want things in this country to be working well for all the American people. I I don't have an us versus them mentality. I have a what's best for all of us mentality. I, I think the Republicans shouldn't shy away from verbalizing that because the other side says Republicans are racist. They're classist. They're evil. They're misogynist. You know, they're xenophobic. They have all these things they always say. And that's actually the opposite of what the Republican Party is all about. That's the opposite of what it means to be a conservative. I also agree with the great Ronald Reagan when he says when he would say and this was not a one off that you shouldn't walk away from from the term Republican and, and, and only embrace conservative. Conservatism is the belief. That's the ideology. But the home, the vessel for conservatism in America today is the Republican Party. And if you're wondering, what do we stand for? What's the point of it all? And I, I get that frustration. I know we see what's going on with Biden and, you know, Biden Biden. He's out of the basement now in the White House, but he might as well be in the basement. No leadership, no vision, just a bunch of leftists around him that are that are actually pushing the levers and and making the making the, the the calls that the progressives want him to. And we look at all this and you say, what what are we here for? Why? Why do we exist? We exist because this country deserves a better future than what the Democrats can give it. The conservatives exist because we look at history and we look at what has happened And we make decisions based upon what we think is the best and most rational evidence of what will be best for all of us. And a a simple way to put this, I mean, we don't have to get overly eloquent about any of this. We're going to say somebody's got to stand in the way of the crazy. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Somebody's got to tell the other side, sorry, you're not going to just get to run us off the cliff, hitting the accelerator full speed without at least some folks telling you, what are you doing? Stop. This is a bad idea. This will be destructive. Don't do this. Right. Whether it's the absurd, ideologically driven anti-science attacks on fossil fuel, the continuation of the lockdown mania that we've seen, the, uh, you know, complete repudiation from the Democrats of so many lessons that we've already learned about what works and what doesn't work when it comes to public policy how we can actually make people safer on the streets. Here's the answer. Not by blaming cops. That's Step one is stop blaming the cops. They're not the ones committing the crimes. They're not the reason that people are getting shot in urban areas of the country at higher rates now than they have in a long time. And we had a huge spike in crime over the last year during the pandemic year, of course. There's so much going on right now. And it's it's incumbent upon us, it's conservatives' role right now, to say, what are you doing, crazy left? What are you doing? Stop it. And here's why. Here's a better way. They may not listen to us, and they probably almost certainly won't. But we still have to say it. We need it to be clear to people there's an alternative because we are going to get control back. We are going to be at a better future. It will happen. I know right now we're at a little bit of of a low point right? The Republican Party feels like what the heck is going on? Now, you can listen to some people in the GOP who will tell you not a single state house got flipped in the last election. We gained seats in the House, but Nancy Pelosi is still Speaker, and they still have a majority. Uh, we are 50-50 in the Senate. You know, they can put a, a happy face on it, but come on, folks. We needed to maintain control of the Senate. It was, it was crazy that we lost both those Georgia Senate seats. I mean, there, there were some blunders, and we had an incumbent president Who lost and we can talk about why and and what the other side did and everything else. But at the end of the day, Joe Biden is president. Donald Trump is not. This is disappointing, but it's not the end. It's not a uh, a moment of panic that we should have. Okay, this is, in fact, just the period in which we're going to see people coming together. They're talking about GOP civil war. I think you're going to see GOP consolidation. Yeah, Donald Trump said maybe he will run again. He, he teased the idea of running again. Uh, he said he, he might win for a third time. But here's what's very clear. Trump is engaged. The people around him are engaged. And the movement will continue. It's not over. It's not going away. This is what I was saying the day after the election in November. The ideas continue. The lessons learned from the last four years continue. Here's what what the former president says Trumpism actually means. Play 18.
2: It means low taxes and eliminating job killing regulations. Trumpism. It means strong borders, but people coming into our country based on a system of merit. So they come in and they can help us as opposed to coming here and not being good for us, including criminals, of which there are many. It means no riots in the streets. It means law enforcement.
1: Those are all good things, aren't they? Law enforcement, no riots. And notice, no riots. We don't approve of some riots and not others. No riots. No use of force for political means taken into the hands of mobs. Never acceptable. We have principles, unlike the left. They just have whatever achieves power in a short term sense. That's what. Their focus is always on strong borders, no riots in the streets, low taxes. These are all very viable paths for this country. And I I have to remind everybody that we were in a fluke year. And we were in a once in a century pandemic. That's just a fact. And the incumbent president lost. Now, yes, I believe very strongly that if Donald Trump had run for re-election in say the fall of twenty nineteen, based on the decisions, the actual governance, he would have won. But that wasn't the that wasn't the hand we were dealt. That's not what we that's not what we had to go back into the election cycle with. And so we did the best we could with what we had. It was a very difficult year and the media lied so much about what was going on and continue to, and I'm going to tackle that in a moment. But I'm here to just tell you Stay in the fight and stay focused. Being with all those conservatives at CPAC, listening to them, talking to them, hearing those speakers for days, and then, of course, Trump's speech at the very end, it was a reminder of what the conservative movement means in America, what we're trying to accomplish now, what the stakes are, of course, and that there are millions and millions of us across the country who. Don't think that, you know, canceling Keystone XL is a good idea. Don't want open borders. Don't blame the cops for the crime that criminals commit. Uh, don't think that big government and the state control of every aspect of your life and every aspect of the economy will be good for any of us. We're here, folks, and we're just get, we're just getting going. Now, the machinery on our side is mobilizing and the Biden squad. Those folks are all going to have to find themselves playing a whole lot of defense And it's going to be much more challenging than I think they realized when they were popping the champagne corks back in November. Trump reminded us of all of that and more, whether he's the nominee or it's someone else in four years. It doesn't matter. This is about conservatism. This is about a Trumpian approach or, you know, Trump tactics in the pursuit of conservative policies and how to wage a successful opposition for the hearts and minds of the American people at this point in time. And we have the tools, we have great messengers, we have fantastic results in the state of Florida to show. And so now now begins that work. 2 years, the midterms, it's going to go by in a flash. We do the work of speaking the truth about America here every day. We all do it. That's our mission, that's our plan.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com.
2: And in one of his first official acts, which was incredible because, again, he talked about energy. He never said he was going to do this. He canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, destroying... Not the 8000 or the 9000 or the 11000 jobs that you hear, but 42000 great paying jobs on just about day one. Right. He never talked about that during a debate because he wouldn't have gotten away with it. Well, he would have because they cheated so much. It probably wouldn't have.
1: That's just one example of what I've been telling you since Biden came in came into office now that they told us that it was good old blue collar Joe The moderate, the centrist, you know, no, no big deal. And what we've gotten, of course, is somebody who doesn't really differ all that much from what any other Democrat that ran. I mean, remember, they had like a cast of thousands running in that Democrat primary. They had to have two. uh, They had to have two different stages, two debate nights for one phase of the debate. Because they had so many people running. And what you're getting with with Biden is essentially just another doctrinaire left wing Democrat. This is not a surprise. There's nothing about this that anybody should should have said. Wait a second. Yeah, of course they lied. Of, of course they presented Joe Biden as, as the cuddly old grandpa for America. And that's not really who he is, because it doesn't matter who Joe Biden is. He's just a placeholder. He's just the Trojan horse. And unfortunately, the horse got into the gates and now Troy is burning. But not all. We'll be OK. We'll, we're going to rebuild it. It's going to be fine. Trump was really hammering Biden, which is pretty easy to do because, as I've said to you, if there were trade-offs in these Biden policies where there was a very clear, a uh, very clear benefit for the American people, not for a special interest group, not for some ideologically motivated uh, segment of the population that writes big checks to Democrats, if there was something that was good, you know, uh, but but then you could see the drawback of it. I would say so. So much of what Biden has done is just bad across the board. And Trump at CPAC pointed that out. Play 17.
2: His campaign was all lies, talked about energy. I thought I said, you know, this guy, actually, he's okay with energy. He wasn't okay with energy. Wants to put you all out of business. He's not okay with energy. He wants windmills, the windmills, the windmills that don't work when you need them. Joe Biden has had the most disastrous first month of any president in modern history. That's true. Already, the Biden administration has proven that they are anti-jobs, anti-family, anti-borders, anti-energy, anti-women and anti-science. In just one short month, we have gone from America first to America last.
1: From America first to America last. What has the Biden administration done so far where you'd say, you know what, taking the politics out of it, I really see the merit and wisdom in that. In fact, you know, the only thing that some people might point to would have been Democrats in Congress pushing for the minimum wage, even though, as we all know, the minimum wage does not work the way that Democrats think it does or, or, or does not function in practice the way they believe it will in theory it does cause a lot of people to lose their jobs it does cause a lot of people get their hours cut back some people see i'm honest about this some people do benefit from a higher mandatory minimum wage but other people lose jobs other people lose access to work it's fascinating some democrats are even pointing out that this would be a hurdle for uh for low wage illegal immigrants oh my gosh what do we do if the minimum wage is higher? There'll be less desire or less ability, I should say, for employers to illegally hire illegal immigrants. So that, that's where Democrats heads are. Notice, they always have this concern, uh, this concern for illegal immigrants ahead of Americans who are unemployed, ahead of what it does to the wage scale. It's very straightforward. Supply and demand. More workers who can do a job, less money you're going to get for those workers. It's, it's this is this is a a law of basic economics. This is this is basic economics in practice. Uh, but Democrats think that they can get around that, that it doesn't really count. Somehow there's some other way. Uh, but you no, know, Biden, everything he's done in the first month in office, you look at it, and you say, who's making these decisions? What's the point? of it? Oh, rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement. These are the things that Democrats come into power We're in the middle of a pandemic We've got all these idiotic lockdown policies, all these mask mania absurdities abounding all over the place. People get mad at me when I say that. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. It makes a lot of sense that every restaurant I went to in Florida, uh, I had to mask up as I walked in and then sit down and take my mask off. There's a lot of science. People seem to believe there's science behind that, that there's some kind of safety reason for it. If you believe that that is is for your safety, there's no reason why the government can't make you do 100 jumping jacks every day whenever you go outside because it's good for your heart health. The government can make you do anything, no matter how dumb, no matter how ridiculous probably actually would be good for your heart health overall. But I hate jumping jacks. This is absurd. It's absurd. Um, But uh, the, the Biden presidency that we've seen so far is as I thought it would be. And now Trump started his speech by saying, did you miss me? That's that's how he started the speech. Did you miss me? And I think America is going to figure out pretty soon, especially here's my here's my prediction. They're going to slow the reopening. But as it starts to reopen, then they're really going to realize the full extent of the damage of the lockdowns and how much spending has gone on. And we're going to hit really rough economic times in the next six to 12 months. And then Democrats are going to do the opposite of what they did. They're going to be desperately blaming Trump for the economy when Biden's actually making the decisions, just like they were desperately trying to give Obama credit for Trump's economy. They're going to do everything they can to make the Biden economy, the Trump economy. That's my prediction. Let's see.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.
2: And I want you to know that I'm going to continue to fight right by your side. We will do what we've done right from the beginning, which is to win. We're not starting new parties. You know, they kept saying, he's going to start a brand new party. We have the Republican Party. It's going to unite and be stronger than ever before. I am not starting a new party. That was fake news. Fake news. No. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Let's start a new party and let's divide our vote so that you can never win. No, we're not interested in that.
1: No new party united in the Republican Party, and we we're going to figure it out right now. It's about the movement, the ideas and mobilizing. That's where we are as Republicans, as conservatives. And Trump is going to be right there along with us. It may not be Trump who ends up being the standard bearer in four years. I know the, the CPAC straw poll had him as the overwhelming favorite to to run again. But then there's also uh, DeSantis and and Nome being talked about as as contenders. And I think that the president will see where we are, how things go. Four years at his age is a long time. That's just the truth. I mean, I know you'd say, what about Joe Biden? Yeah. Joe Biden's too old for the job, folks. He's actually too old to be doing this. Nancy Pelosi, too old for the job. I, I, I'm not going to do what Democrats do and have two sets of standards here. You know, Trump is is right on the edge, right on the edge of just physically, folks. I, I, I understand he's got tremendous energy, but we're talking about four years from now. Guy's going to be what, 77 going on 78. It's asking a lot. By the way, I hope President Trump, you know, lasts another 30 years and, uh, you know, is in great health and can run for president again in four years. And that may very well be the case. But I'm saying we don't know. Nobody's got a crystal ball. And four years is is a is a lifetime in politics, the most the most cliched phrase you'll ever hear. Oh, it's a lifetime in politics. Right. That and it all comes down to turnout on Election Day. Yeah, no kidding. Whoever scores more points on the board is going to win the game. Yes, also true. Uh, we we need to know what we're trying to accomplish now, what we're trying to do as a party. That's what matters. we I mean, need to be making the argument building platforms, there is a rebuilding that needs to go on here. We need to make sure that we can't get silenced again. Remember, they pulled off the silencing in the election. They covered for Hunter Biden. They shut down the New York Post story, an entirely true story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, They were able to do that, and they suffered no consequences. We need them to actually, we need the social media companies to at least think twice. And then eventually we need to break them up, and we need to treat them as the monopolies they are, and we need to break them into tiny little pieces. People say, oh, no, but it won't be as good for consumers. Really? You You don't think anybody else can come up with like a, email or search engine or you know little chat boxes and things like you don't think anyone else is trust me it'll be fine all right it'll be fine you know the the, the reason that our flat screen tvs right now i'm, I'm maybe gonna get a new flat screen because mine has gone crazy it's like possessed by a demon uh the reason that you can get a you know 55 inch uh, flat screen tv for 300 dollars now that I mean, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, would it cost you four grand or 10 grand or something crazy? The reason is because of competition among many different companies. So it works everywhere else, but somehow the social media companies have convinced you the best way is for there to only be one player. That's the best for consumers. Amazon too, that's what's best for you. It's clearly not. Now, I wanted to focus for, for a little bit on On the Florida aspect of this, because being at CPAC and I I would say, uh, first off, I want to thank everybody who was there, who was uh, who was at CPAC and who was willing to come up and and talk to me and and say hi means a lot. It was great to see this. It was great to see people who share my beliefs, values who in many cases listen to the show. So there was a lot of a lot of team buck in the house. And that was fantastic. Um, but being in in Florida was also you, you could feel that there is a sense that this is now a movement unto itself, that there are more and more Republicans who will be moving to Florida, that there are more and more Republicans who are deciding that that's going to be. And, and I'm, I hate to say it because I, I had some some folks from uh, from Austin, Texas, who are listening to the show, listen on KLBJ. In Austin, they came up to me to talk to me. Texas, Governor Abbott uh, has really missed an opportunity here. Uh, It feels like the leadership of the Republican Party is firmly now in the same way that California, New York is a close second, but California feels like the homeland of the Democrat Party. Uh, That's what that's what Florida is becoming for the Republican Party. And now we're not as it's not as red as California is blue. But I think that's I think that's changing a bit. I'll I'll also tell you that I did experience at a few of the the bars because, you know, there's CPAC parties and things. A very different attitude there. I mean, you walk in and and I'm being honest with you. You you walk into these places and they will tell you to put a mask on. But they're they're generally very polite about it. They're generally very nice. They're like, excuse me, could you put it know, No one's yelling at you and acting like you're actually killing grandma because they saw you without a mask on um but it's it's fascinating to see how people just took them off when they went inside and then nobody there was no anxiety about it because people around them the the individuals around them are you know the, the people around them have not been completely brainwashed into the, into states of terror they're not feeling like if you breathe if you breathe near them you're going to kill them and that's the way the whole country should be. So it was interesting to see it in, in Florida specifically. It w- it's still stunning to me how many people believe there's a sound scientific basis for the no masks while you eat, but mask up when you walk in policies that are in so many states, including New York, where I am now. I mean, the willingness of millions to enthusiastically evangelize this kind of authoritarian absurdity has really exceeded any and all pre-COVID expectations. It's no I I, I don't know. It's it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that's what we've it's turned into. You can't even begin to justify this stuff. You you can't even begin to make sense of it. But this is where we are as a country. And this is why when I see things like a on South on South uh, or no Spirit Airlines or Southwest Spirit Airlines, I believe it was. I don't know one of those airlines, one of the kind of budget airlines They uh, kicked off a I'm sorry, Frontier. I got to get it right. Frontier Airlines. If I'm going to call them out by name. I got to get it right. Frontier Airlines ejected an Orthodox Jewish family from a flight. There's video of it. For allegedly, and this is the story that's going around, failing to mask an 18 month old baby. That's what we've turned into now as a country. We've turned into a country where where we're being told you have to mask up your 18-month-old, even though the CDC says masking under two years of age is unnecessary. That's the CDC guidance for anyone who cares. Notice that when the CDC guidance is what the lockdowners want, it is sacrosanct. But anytime they want to go beyond that, anytime they want to push for more, that's fine too, even if it's in contradiction to the CDC guidance. So when they want it, you can't argue with it. But when it's not actually supported by the CDC, it's shut up and do what you're told. Uh, parents, this, this is up in Canada. To give you an idea of how far this can go, uh, th- th- there, there has now been uh, up in Canada a series of guidelines in Toronto that have been offered up instructing parents to keep any children who have been sent home because they have a classmate who tested positive for COVID-19 isolated in a separate room from all other family members for 14 days. That's right. Canada now in Toronto is, is advocating for people. Uh, the Peel Peel Region Schools, I don't even know what Peel is, but apparently it's part of, part of Toronto. Uh, they want you to, to lock your kid in a separate room from the family and, and have no contact with family for 14 days because another kid in the class had it. You know that the spread of this virus is overwhelmingly if, you, if someone spreads it, they spread it to one person. So there are a lot of people who have been around somebody with covid and they never actually even got covid. They didn't get it from them. It's you know, we, we have fear has overtaken rationality on this subject in a way that's really hard to overstate. But this is the, the biggest fight. And, you know, I've been saying it now for a year. The biggest fight in this country is the fight to regain our liberty and to regain sanity from the lockdown left. We got to do that. You, you want Donald Trump to win or another America first candidate to win in four years? You want that? You need to win this battle now because if the lockdown left can get away with this, they can get away with anything. And they've conditioned the American people to believe that their freedom is just a suggestion, that the Constitution doesn't actually defend or protect their rights. It's only there during good times not in the bad that's not the way this is supposed to work
0: this is the buck sexton show podcast join the conversation and message buck on facebook instagram or email team at iheartmedia.com
3: he may read it on the show so mitch mcconnell says trump is morally responsible for january's capital siege yet he also says he's willing to support him in a 2024 bid. come on mitch McConnell's only kissing the ring this week because Trump is about to come out of hiding where he'll likely set the stage for that run next cycle. Tomorrow, the seditionist ex-president, a loser, I'll remind you, will headline the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC. The event that started in the early 70s has always been viewed as a place for conservatives, some who've gone off the deep end, but at very least it was rooted in ideas. They talked about policies that could, in their opinion, make the country a better place. However, in the last several years, the conference has devolved into a cesspool of hatred, bigotry and exclusionary garbage, a place where speakers rail on the country's most marginalized for simply striving to attain equal rights. I'm not a conservative, but I like conservatives and I respect conservative ideology, even if I don't agree with it. But if I were a conservative, today's version of CPAC would offend me to my core. Not only was blatant prejudice on display this week, we also saw Missouri Senator Josh Hawley brag to the crowd about his rejection of the 2020 election results, which ultimately gave way to the insurrection on Capitol Hill and the deaths of five people.
1: I'm sorry that you had to hear that, but I wanted you to know the kind of things that are being said at MSNBC by people who were not at CPAC, don't know what was going on at CPAC, don't care really what was going on at CPAC, because they just view it as, oh, a bunch of conservatives are together. Let's call it a quote cesspool of hatred, bigotry, and exclusionary garbage. Uh, this is just this is idiotic slander. That's all. Uh, there's a lot of it about CPAC, and there are people that only show up. Think about this: it's a political conference. Then there are people who show up there who know who know that their job is to try to find one thing. They're there to attack. They're not there to report. They're there to attack. I was at CPAC for the whole conference, pretty much, I mean, close to the whole conference, and all I saw were a lot of people being completely you know, polite, friendly, decent to one another, excited to see each other, talking about ideas, listening to shows. That's all that I saw. That's what was going on. And yet, well, beyond that, What did they decide that they were going to focus on? I mean, the media? What were the people that are supposed to be reporting on this? You can't make this stuff up. That CPAC had a Nazi insignia as a stage. This is what they were saying. CPAC had it. The Odell or Othala rune, according to the Washington Post, which was emblazoned on some Nazi uniforms, and the Anti-Defamation League has classified the insignia as a hate symbol. These, these people are out of their minds. They're, they're out of their minds. Yeah, okay, there is a thing called, an. I understand that there is a symbol, but I, I had never before seen this, was not familiar with this. I'm somebody who reads a lot about World War II and finds it to be a fascinating period in history. So let's just start from this premise. Beyond the fact that at CPAC, there were a lot of really prominent Jewish speakers and attendees and I mean the whole thing is just nuts I know it's so crazy that it's like where do you start but this is the Washington Post and others reporting on this if they're making a symbol that they want to somehow show a an affinity for an allegiance to a certain ide- uh, to an ideology here of, of Nazism or white supremacy or whatever it is they're going to say wouldn't it have to be a symbol that somebody kn- like somebody actually knows what it is Start with that premise. If I don't even know what this thing is, and I'm better read on the Second World War than 99% of the Washington Post staff and writers, trust me when I say that they're stretching, that they're desperate. I mean, come on. And what I really want to know is, is um, if this, you know, what we need to do now would be to find other, other designs of stages that look like this. I'm sure there are plenty of them. When you look at it, you go, yeah, they're just trying to use that space most effectively or as effectively as they can. But, yes, it's, a, it's an oodle rune, they say. Um, and wh- why would CPAC do that? Wh- why would Matchlap lap and, and the other top people running CPAC, be- because they, they have a fondness for the Nazi SS, is the allegation? How, how blanking stupid are the people reporting on this? But see, this again shows you, we want to share ideas, and we're not even allowed to. We're not even allowed to. They have to slander. They have to lie. They have to misrepresent what we're doing and what we're all about with things like this. And there's also a part of me that says, you know, we shouldn't even have to go find other stages that look like this. Is is this a stage design that's been used at the Hyatt for other things? I'm willing to bet there's plenty of stages that have looked just like. But see, we're wasting time then. We already know that it's bull crap, so why do we have to... It's obviously garbage, so why do we have to waste our time then trying to even further prove that it's nonsense? Because they wanted to try to pressure Hyatt. You got to remember this. It's not enough. It's not enough for Democrats to have control of the government, to have control of the media, to have control of social media and Hollywood and everything else. They want to make it impossible for you to physically gather with fellow conservatives too. They want dominance and total control of the digital space and they want dominance and total control of your ability to even gather in person. Freedom of assembly, I believe it is called in this old document that we're all supposed to care about a lot as Americans known as the Constitution. Right? I mean, isn't that something that we can all at least agree on You know, isn't that something that we should all at least be able to say? We can uh, see on. uh, Nope. They wanted to attack Hyatt. They don't want CPAC to be able to meet anywhere. These people are these people are authoritarian
0: cowards. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.
4: Now, most
5: governors shut down their states. What followed was record unemployment, businesses closed, most schools were shuttered, and communities suffered. And the U.S. economy came to an immediate halt. Now, let me be clear, COVID didn't crush the economy. Government crushed the economy. And then, just as quickly, government turned around and held itself out as the savior. And frankly, the Treasury Department can't print money fast enough to keep up with Congress's wish list. But not everyone has followed this path. For those of you who don't know, South Dakota is the only state in America that never ordered a single business or church to close.
1: And yet we're told that if only we had listened more to the lockdowners, if only these states that had shut down so much like California had had their way even more so, we would all be better off. This is absurd. The data doesn't support it. But here's what you have to be prepared for. There is no future. There will never be a time in which it is the case that the people that were advocating for demanding. i should, There wasn't advocacy. It was demand. You do this because otherwise you're killing grandma. We're making you do this. Do this or we shut down your business. Lockdown or not only will we fine you. We will take away your liquor license. We will destroy your your restaurant's ability to to ever open. We'll make sure you're done. Lockdown or else. Right. They didn't convince. We didn't have a referendum. There wasn't a conversation. It was, this is an emergency. The house is on fire. You have to run. You have to run. Well, hold on a second. What? Maybe we can put the fire out. Maybe I don't have to abandon my home. No, you have to. It's, it's an emergency. That's what they did to us. And now you're able to look at what's actually happened with COVID all across the country and you realize, oh, so they were demanding something that turned out to be a terrible idea. If lockdown is so obvious, if this is such a clear and effective solution to the problem of a an aerosolized pandemic virus, why was all of the public health guidance before this contradictory to that? Why was it the consensus opinion? since the Spanish flu of 1918, that we don't do that. We don't shut down society. We don't shut down businesses when there is an aerosolized virus that has a, uh, a high risk for certain groups in circulation. Right. They, they changed the consensus and then jumped all over you if you pointed out that a shifting consensus is inherently on shaky ground. They didn't care. Didn't matter. Look at Florida, look at South Dakota, look at these states. Understand this. They're going to try to line them up. They're going to line up for you now. And there's so much dishonesty right now about it. And, and, and you need to remember that, too. And, and the dishonesty is intentional. I, w- I want you to be clear about that. This was not something that has just happened sometimes. I mean, almost all the lockdown comparisons you'll see online now are so immensely sloppy in methodology as to be useless, and this is often intentional, but people will realize one day that most lockdowns were so haphazard, temporary, and arbitrary as to render them useless in the long run. As in, there was almost no benefit. When you look at this on, a, on, on the, the full scope and scale of the infections across the country, almost no benefit from this whatsoever, if any. And in fact, there are some people who argue quite credibly could have made things worse given the situation of major American cities and what was going on. Remember, they talked to us like we were going to crush the virus and the level would go way, way, way down as a result of the most extreme stay at home orders that never happened. Nowhere did that happen. What ended up happening was we would go into a more extreme lockdown and it would take months and it would finally go down where there was the extreme lockdown, whether it was New York or California or New Jersey or wherever, it would finally go down and it was going down in other places that didn't have the extreme lockdown. You can just observe this and see what exactly is the benefit. If all those other places were also having massive declines in cases at the same time, what's the advantage of going into these self-induced economic comas which is what we've been through there was no benefit there was no benefit if it was saving lots and lots of lives you could at least argue about what the the costs and the drawback. but they didn't where were show me how this saved lives remember they're going to tell you they'll say well you know florida and california they'll try to find some comparison of those states As an example, they always give New York and New Jersey a pass. They got hit first. okay, but they got hit. We all knew it was coming. Uh, They'll do a comparison, though, and they'll say, well, if you see here, technically this state, you know, did better than Florida and this state had lockdowns or something like that. But remember, this should be this should be an enormous and obvious benefit. Right. We weren't promised with, with lockdowns, the way they were set up in this country and, and the people like Fauci and all the rest of them, we were not promised that it would be California that we were supposed to say, oh, gee, that's success. We were promised a situation like New Zealand. Where they have very, very, very low cases. But here's the problem with that. New Zealand is a very remote island or islands from most of the rest of the world with incredibly sparse population and absolutely hardcore lockdowns cannot leave your home enforced across the board for for months on end that's an actual lockdown and here's the thing we weren't willing to do that we weren't going to do that and it wasn't possible for us to do that so guess what we had the worst of all worlds never really locked down and did not stay open in places like california And to what end? To what benefit? Uh, Nobody ever seems to have to answer that question. We're supposed to just sit around and assume that Fauci and all the rest of them knew what they were doing. It's absurd. It's absurd. I, I, I think that Fauci is the greatest villain of the pandemic. The only person who comes close is Governor Cuomo. But Fauci, I think, is the single person most responsible for grotesquely politicizing the entire process and, and and pretending that he was doing the opposite of that. The data. It's all about the data. And remember this, for those of you who think that I'm some kind of anti mask zealot and I and I, I am. Let's be honest. I hate masks. I think it's awful. I think they're wildly, wildly overstated as a mechanism for virus control. Look at the infection rates among healthcare professionals. I know they're subjected to higher degree of virus, but OK, how effective are masks? When you see that healthcare professionals have an infection rate compared to the general population, that makes you think. Okay, so I mean, they're still they're masking up perfectly, professionally, N95s, and they're anyway. And again, it's not that it's zero. I can't say it's zero. I don't know. I mean, I know there's studies that show this and that, and that say okay, but is it yeah, how effective? Are we really supposed to be is it eighty percent? You think you think it with with uh with proper masking, you reduce viral spread by eighty percent. That's that's delusional, given what we've seen going on across the country. Delusional. They'll never admit. They'll never admit it, though, because so many of the people that push for this stuff, it's become a religion for them, and also they really think that they really thought they were smarter than everybody else. This the same thing that Russia collusion delusion people. They thought that they they saw that conspiracy. They thought they were smarter than everybody else. That Trump was really working with Putin to steal the election and. You know just because they're so smart that they believed it when you can take belief and mix it with ego you have in an an impenetrable shield of idiocy when you can pull those two when you can pull those two two things together you create a belief and then you mix it with the ego of that individual that I believe this because I'm smart never will never change will never change
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com.
6: The CDC will be coming out within the next few weeks, uh, maybe even sooner, with some guidelines about what people who are vaccinated. And I think and I know you're referring, Dana, to people who are doubly vaccinated 14 days out. They're protected. They have that 94 Mm -hmm. to 95 percent protection. What can they do? I'm very certain, and I, and we've discussed this, and, I, and you're right, I don't want to get ahead of the guidelines because the CDC wants to do things that are science-based. If you can't get the science, you've got to maybe use modeling, and in addition to modeling, you use good, professional, common-sense judgment. They'll be coming out with that. But one of the things that I think is going to become clear, that if you have individuals, adults who are vaccinated, two people that are mm-hmm. doubly vaccinated, and are protected, that you can do things that we weren't talking about before. You could have dinner in a home without masks on. You could have friends who you know are doubly vaccinated and are protected together with you. So you can start doing things um, essentially in the home in in a setting where you're not out in the community where there are 70,000 new infections per day. Right. And you could start doing some of the things that you weren't able to do before.
1: I mean, this little tyrant is out of his mind now. I'm so happy that people have come to realize that I've been right about him all along and that any, and all the Fauci, Fauci worshipers should be embarrassed because they were taken in by this. Oh, I'm a little grandpa who follows the data. I want to keep you safe. Nonsense. This guy's a little tyrant, Democrat, bureaucrat. Oh, when you're doubly vaccinated, you might be able to eat dinner in a private home. I mean, does this little jackass not know that everyone's been doing that for pretty much the whole pandemic? Eat dinner in a... Everyone's eating dinner in private homes all the time. If you and another, you know, two adults are vaccinated and... I mean, what are we talking about here? What what, would... This is like when he said, you know, we can't go back to eating in restaurants and we can't go back to, to movie theaters even after people get... Even after you're vaccinated... And it's already, the restaurants are open in in most states across the country at some level. We're already doing these things. That just goes to show you how out of touch this little, he's the worst. This guy's the worst. All right. He's not, he's not impressive. He's not smart. He's not wise. His judgment is awful. He's a partisan hack. He's a joke. Yeah. After you're, after you're both doubly vaccinated, after you're both at 95%, uh, you know, ninety-five percent chance of being. Remember, folks, you could do the math on this yourself. Okay, so it's ninety-five percent. You're fine. Ninety-five percent. The person you're with is fine. For a virus that has a ninety-nine point, you know, seven percent survival rate, or something, like that, or point, you know, ninety-nine point seven or ninety-nine point eight or whatever it is. And we're and you're not gonna you're not gonna live your life because of this. This is insane. This is not reasonable. It is not rational. It is not okay. But the Democrat panic and anxiety machinery can't turn itself off. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! We gotta listen to Fauci. We gotta listen to Fauci. They don't know what to do. They can't handle the fact that they have to go back to normal life at some point. They oh my gosh, there's risk. I, I wanted to stay home and order in food. No, no, we do not live zero risk lives. We've all understood this. This is part of functioning, part of being a human being. And yet Fauci says things that make you think, what the heck is this lunatic talking about? You know, if you're vaccinated double and the other person's vaccinated double, you can eat indoors without masks on at a private home, you know, where you're all, where you're both vaccinated. Does he think we need him to tell us that? I'm just going to say that unless you're, you know, a an immunocompromised senior citizen. If you need Dr. Fauci to tell you that you're just not very bright. OK, unless you're somebody that has a really, really specific and high risk. If you need a Dr. Fauci to say that you're, you're either not very bright or anxiety has completely overtaken your brain you know you're not going to have dinner with your your wife you're not going to have dinner with family members in your immediate family without masks on i mean as if as if masking up when you're eating dinner even makes any sense cuz you know you're unmasking you're breathing all over the place the whole thing is they know so little really about the transmissibility of this thing that's what's so amazing they don't really understand even i mean You'll go. You'll see. There are some studies that suggest that somebody can be really, really infectious and it can spread through air vents in a building. There are other studies that will suggest, you know, you sit around, and you say, well, what, well, what, well, that's why they're talking about ventilation systems in the schools, because there are these studies that show that. But but they think that. Wearing a mask is going to save you at the you know, which one is it? This thing can go through the vents in a building so that you don't even see a person, you're not even within, within 50 feet of a person, and you might be able to get COVID from them, but wearing a mask is going, to, is going to protect you. It can't be both those things, not really. Hate to break it to everybody, but there's so many open questions about this. There's so many things that, that they don't know, but they won't admit that, because to admit that is, one, to, to show everybody that this expert class Look, the expert class when it comes to, to doctors has lost. Well, public health officials, I should say, has lost a lot of credibility, a lot of credibility. People are much less impressed with what somebody with a stethoscope and a lab coat says is good policy than they were before. And that's a good thing. Uh, but this guidance, the CDC is going to come out with for vaccinated people is going to be pathetic. It should be go back to life. Go back. To your normal life. That's what it should be when you're vaccinated. Right now, we can even have a whole discussion about whether everybody should get vaccinated. But I mean, for those who are vaccinated, we're just talking about that. It should be go live your life. OK, that's it. That's reasonable. Everything else is unreasonable. But. But. Oh, but there's a one in, a, you know, one in 10,000 chance you might get it and then a one in 5,000 chance you might give it and then, you know, now we're getting we're getting into silly numbers at this point. Ridiculous numbers at this point. And and that's this is why I I'm, I'm not letting this go. Dr. Fauci here says we're also we're going to pull back on COVID restrictions one day. Play 11.
6: Let's look at what history has taught us. If you go back and look at the various surges, whenever we hit a peak and start coming down, understandably, totally understandably, you say, well, let's pull back. We're going to ultimately be pulling back. But you want to get the level of baseline infections per day very low, because if you look at that little plateau, particularly In the arena of having variants such as we have Mm -hmm. in California and such as we have in New York, it is really risky to say it's over. We're on the way out. Let's pull back, because what we can see is that we turn up. It isn't hypothetical Dana, because just look historically at the late winter early spring mm-hmm. of 2020 of the summer of 2020 when we started to pull back prematurely we saw the rebound So we is this premature? We want that to happen.
0: Are the easing of those restrictions yeah, I would think just-
6: it is. I think we yeah, yeah, I think you know obviously each individual state and city needs to look at the situation in their own in the in their own location where they are. But in general to think just because the, the cases are coming down on a daily basis. Take a look at the pattern and just watch over the next several days to a week. If we do this and start coming up, mm-hmm. then we're going to go right back to the road of rebounding.
1: He's been wrong about this at every step, at every stage. And what he's telling you is total crap right now, just for the record. OK. He absolutely cannot tell you that he was saying, oh, it's going to have a rebate. He had no idea up, down, all around it, no idea what was going on with the different spikes making it up as he goes along wrong over and over and over again
0: you're listening to the buck sexton show podcast make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts
1: senator from tennessee and she talked to me about big tech and a whole range of issues including how to clean up state elections and here it is for you right now all right here at cpac with senator marcia blackburn senator Great to see you. Thanks for joining it's us. It's good
5: to see you, and I'm delighted to join you.
1: A major focus here so far, and I know all through the weekend, it's going to be big tech. And yes. both in the, from the context of what they're doing to us here at home and also what it means for big tech in China specifically, how they're coming after us. But let me start with the, the big tech challenge here in America. It feels like freedom of speech is under more threat now from technology companies than at any time that I can think of in my lifetime at least
5: well absolutely it is under threat and you've got big tech big media and the big left and they are all in cahoots on this to try to silence conservatives and what they can't do through legislation the left is trying to have big tech do that work for them and then you've got Democrat legislators this week that sent a letter to the FCC and to certain streaming organizations, uh, cable companies, media outlets, trying to get them to drop conservative programming and they named by name Fox, One America News, and Newsmax and the thing they're guilty of is giving a balanced Point, counterpoint, opening for robust uh, discussion. So, yes, I've got the virtual you protection agenda. We are pushing this through. It's going to deal with four things. Online privacy, reforming Section 230, data security, and also antitrust
1: now what are the prospects for getting any actual movement on that given the current composition of well Congress?
5: actually you've got uh, privacy online privacy has had bipartisan support I've had that bill since 2012 and it does have bipartisan support there is agreement that we should address section 230 and clean up the language there so that you remove terms like the term otherwise objectionable, which is what big tech hides behind when they go in and censor people. And there is agreement that there should be a review of antitrust provisions in relation to companies like Google and... um, Do you think uh, big
1: tech should be broken up?
5: I, I think that it is the worthy discussion to have. But here's the thing. If you go in and execute privacy, which gives you the ability to say, Big Tech, you cannot track me, follow me, data mine me, or share or sell my information without my explicit consent, and you can't bump me off your platform if I don't give that consent. Then what you do is reduce the number of eyeballs. So you wanna do that first because that somewhat reshapes their marketplace. Then you want to exercise the Section 230 reforms. That reshapes. You want to define data breach and data security and put a specific amount of time on that. So they have to tell you in like two days, not two weeks or two years, if they've had a data breach. Then see where that gets you, and then move to antitrust as the last uh, last component.
1: If that legislation were to go through, are you confident that the purge of conservatives from the digital public square that has been underway, kicking people quite honestly like me off of different platforms and me, at times, I've I, experienced I, I've had, it. Yeah. You're a sitting U.S. senator. Even even more shocking yeah. when you think about this. Uh, are you confident that that will be enough to create? The free speech grounds that we need this legislation. I think
5: that it goes a long way in sending a message. And then the other thing is, we the people have to be the people on protecting our rights. And if they take the fir- if the left gets rid of the First Amendment, then you know they're coming for the Second and right on down the list. So it is going to be imperative that people start holding to account some of these tech platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, It is going to be imperative that they talk about it when they get blocked or throttled or shadow banned or demonetized or deplatformed and begin to bring that out in the open.
1: You also focus a lot on China and the challenge that China poses for us on national security, economic, uh, trade grounds. Right. What can we do now, considering that there's a reset underway with this Biden administration? What are, your, what are you pushing for, and what are your concerns about how US-China policy may, may shift?
5: I'm very concerned about it, because if you want to take it by different stovepipes with China, look at what they're doing with Huawei. We have to keep them on the entities list, which blocks them from selling into the USA. They embed their technology with spyware. We have to make certain that we continue the Trump policies on China. He understood China, and he understood they, they really practice rob, replicate, and replace, which is taking our technology, our intellectual property, reverse engineering or producing it, and then driving U.S. companies out of the marketplace so that they're the sole source for some product that you want. So we need to continue Trump's policies in that area. You have to look at what is happening with human rights violations with Hong Kong and the freedom fighters and the Tibetans and the Taiwanese and the South China Seas and then the genocide of the Uyghurs that are there and say to international organizations, you cannot admit them. The fact that Biden has gone back to the WHO is disgusting. That is something that emboldens China.
1: And on the election integrity issue, which it feels like hopefully we can begin to speak about again without fear of that triggering all kinds of algorithms of censorship and and cries of outrage. What would you like to see at the state level done and and at the federal level? How do we clean things up so that there's greater because we know all the data, all the polling shows confidence in the election is a problem with many, many, many millions of Americans. What can we do to change that?
5: And that has to be done at the state and local level. It, the federal government cannot do that, and we do not want federally controlled elections. The Constitution gives that to the state and the subdivisions of the state Um, So we want it to stay there. But I would say to every one of your listeners, go to the election commission in your county and ask them, when is the last time you purged the voter rolls? Do you need help? Do you need volunteers to help check addresses, check deaths, check people that have moved out of the county so that these rolls are clean? Do you need help? Uh, validating signatures. Do you need election day workers? And get involved with that. That's how how we fix this. You have to be sure that the rolls are accurate before you mail the ballots out or before you open the voter rolls. And this year, what happened? You had some houses that got five, six, seven ballots. You have some people that had moved out of state, been out of georgia for five years and what happened they got a ballot in the mail to their forwarded address
1: senator marcia blackburn thanks so much for your time we appreciate it
5: good to be with you thank you
0: this is the buck sexton show podcast join the conversation and message buck on facebook instagram or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com he may read it on the show
2: Hey so I can sporadically sexually harass someone as long as I don't go so far as it becomes pervasive. No, it is a terrible legal standard and it has to be changed and it has to be changed now. That is the action that the revelation and the exposures dictate as the only rational conclusion. You've exposed the wrongdoing. Now do something about it.
1: Now do something about it. Governor Cuomo talking to you about holding people accountable for sexual harassment. Here's the problem. Governor Cuomo now has a second accuser who has come forward saying that he has sexually harassed her. Oh, okay. So when it was an opportunity with the cameras on him to be Mr. Preening, Me Too, Male feminist, Cuomo, that was from years ago, by the way, that that clip. Cuomo was all, what do you mean you could only sexually harass on occasion? You can't do it at all. That's not good. Don't do it. You should have accountability here. Uh, except now he's the guy. He's the guy. But he, here's my my biggest takeaway for you, all right? Because I know how people are going to focus so much on the sexual harassment stuff with Cuomo. I, I I see some nefarious stuff going on here that I don't think is getting the focus that it should Governor Cuomo in New York is just one obvious example of the enormous fraud the media conducted against America to defeat Trump in 2020. They turned villains into heroes and tyranny into freedom. Cuomo, Fauci, the Lincoln Project, school closures, anything was justified to beat Trump. Anything, right? Whatever they had to say. Whoever they had to run cover for, whatever they had to do, they were willing to do. And I, I think that you need to understand that. And they were even—I mean, they were even willing to hold up the Lincoln Project for heaven's sake as as some kind of a, a group that people should should pay attention to and listen to. I mean, it's 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 awful when you look deeper into this. It's awful. It really is. Um the the Lincoln Project and all, all these other things, but now they're turning around and, and they're saying, oh well, we're going to hold Cuomo to account. He served his purpose, don't you see? And the bigger scandal is actually the nursing home scandal. Oh, I know, I know, Buck. But this look, he didn't break. He didn't actually, you know, sexually assault anybody, from what we understand right now. He didn't do. He didn't break uh, any criminal laws. But it seems that he is a, you know, a kind of a sexist in the workplace who says inappropriate things to subordinates and, Oh no, I'm sorry. No, there, pardon me. I retract. There was an allegation that he, you know, tried an uninvited, uh, you know, tried to like force himself in a kissing way on a subordinate. So I, I take that. So he did actually cross that boundary of, of physical, you know, make, making a sort of a physical move. Now I'm sure he would say that he thought, you know, and then we we get into this conversation about, all right, I mean, sometimes, you know, a guy goes in, he thinks that he's been given the sign, he's not given the sign, but not your boss. It's not supposed to be your boss, right? They weren't on a date. They weren't, you know, he wasn't handing her a rose after a romantic candlelit dinner in front of her apartment and thought that, you know, he got the go sign. This is an employee. So Cuomo's got some trouble. He's now said that he he's doing the, the usual kind of dance where he says, well, you know, I may have said some things that may have made some people uncomfortable, uh, you know, that, that that's basically worries. You know, I may I may have said a thing that made a person feel bad about a thing. Uh, he's not saying, yeah, I'm I'm a slimy creep, but this guy's had problems with women for a very long time. It's been well known, and he's a bully and a jerk and nobody likes him, but yet Democrats keep voting for him. Hmm, isn't that so interesting? They want to lecture us on character all the time, don't they? Oh, look at Trump, and he's so bad about this or that. But they keep electing people like Cuomo. Really? Hmm. But I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to take my focus off of what I think is, is still the much the much bigger. Look, sexually harassing uh, female employees, who are your subordinates, is, is a bad thing, and he, and he shouldn't do it, and he should be held responsible for it. Sending people with COVID-19... Uh, into nursing homes with the obvious knowledge that that's going to increase the risk of other seniors in the nursing homes when thousands and thousands of people are dying from COVID-19. that's a. Can we all agree that's a bigger issue? Can we all agree that's a more important issue? That's not to say it's not an issue, the sexual harassment, it's a bigger issue. But I'm, I'm bringing these, these things up because notice that now uh, the media wants to congratulate itself. I, I've seen some of this. The media wants to congratulate itself on the um, willingness to report on this, the media wants to congratulate itself on their ability to see this and say, "Oh yeah, we're we're actually telling you the truth about Governor Cuomo." And to that, I just have to say, "Well, well hold, hold on a second here, folks. Hold on a minute. Uh, this was known that the the, the COVID nineteen disaster with Cuomo was known way before this." Uh, you know, sexual harassment stuff came out and the media covered it up. Why'd they do that? Because as I've said to you, that was, that was an even more important story. They, they didn't want to cover that. And it was conservative media outlets that were actually pushing these stories, of course, in the election year. Cuomo got sloppy. Cuomo got a little too full of himself. You know why? Because he realized, and this is with everything he's been doing the last year, he realized that he was given the anti-Trump cloak of media invincibility, and he was enjoying it a little too much. And that's what the, the Emmy and the book and all this stuff. He started to believe his press releases. You know, he started to believe the BS that he was putting out there for everybody else. And you know, now there may be finally a reckoning, although I'm I'm not confident that it'll happen. Yeah, Democrats are calling for an investigation of this. Cuomo's going to say sure, investigate me. He's ultimately, if Cuomo says, you know, I said some things I probably shouldn't have said, a little bit inappropriate. Sorry about that. Doesn't resign. You think they think that anything's going to happen to him? You think the Democrats would even support a primary against the third-term governor? I, I I don't think so. I don't think that they want to get rid of him even now. But just remember this: while he was of maximum utility, when he was most. Useful to the Democrats, they protected him at all costs. They held him up. He was a villain, and they made him into a hero. That was their approach. That's what they were doing, and I and I don't think we should let that go. I don't think we should think we should allow people to uh, to pretend that that isn't what happened, because it is what happened. He was a villain. And they lied to all of us about an an essential area of public health and public policy. To beat Trump. Anything to beat Trump. That was the strategy. So they don't get any credit now. They don't get any late, you know, late extra points or anything because this story is now broken and they're they're acting like they care about, you know, Me Too stuff and all this other. No. When it really mattered, they covered for him. When it really could have done the maximum amount of public benefit to expose what was going on with this guy they had nothing and then there's also just this this liberal mentality of yeah you know your governor you send thousands of people to their deaths in nursing homes and then lie about it and then are a tyrant and threaten people who try to expose it yeah that's not good but you know we had to beat trump but say the wrong thing to a few female employees who come out you know then then all of a sudden they're outraged beyond words Uh, It shows you a lot of of their priorities, Um, a lot of their priorities, that's for sure. Certainly not on the truth, certainly not getting to the bottom of what's really going on here. But Governor Cuomo is finally in, uh, he's finally in some hot water, finally not able to just get out of this.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: So what now? We heard President Trump tell us his vision for the GOP going forward, how he's going to continue to fight, what does this look like in practice and what can we all do to be a part of it? We've got Pedro Gonzalez with us now, he is an assistant editor at American Greatness and a Chronicles magazine contributor.
4: Pedro, great to have you back. Always good to be here. Thanks for having me back on Buck.
1: So tell me, what what do you view as the as the Trump the, the, the Trump roadmap or the Trump level. Actually, let's start with this. What is his role going to be in all of this? He didn't say he's running. What do you think happening here?
4: Well, I'll start by saying that the most important thing Trump did was affecting a change in the way we think and talk about certain issues in 2016. But as far as I can tell, CPAC and other recent events cast doubt on whether he can he can or should carry that torch forward. And I, I think that his ideal role would be as a kingmaker, someone who, with the help of people who are truly aligned with the concept of America First, working to promote candidates to change the Republican Party from the inside, because he, he's made it clear he doesn't support a third party, and he, he claims to want to reform the GOP, which in theory, uh, that that is a good idea, And it's i think the the thing that trump could do the uh, the most damage with uh but he's not doing that and instead he's actually trying to do both it seems he's hinted at a run in 2024 which i think would be a mistake and he's also uh he's playing kingmaker but it's it's not really clear um it's well I i should be more frank it his endorsements are not good so far uh, and it actually shows that he, I think he's still very pliable to influence from people who are not aligned with America First, uh, people like Mitch McConnell, probably even members of his family like Jared Kushner. And I think this comes into view acutely if you look at people like Jerry uh, Moran in Kansas and James Timken in Ohio. You
1: Now, you know, I appreciate, that you're, you're giving us an honest assessment of all this because I've spoken, and including at CPAC, Uh, But but I've spoken to people who with, you know, without attribution or off the record, depending on who it was, have all given me a similar message, which is the top people around Trump or, or some of the top. I should say some of the top people around Trump when he was in office are willing to say now that there were horrible personnel choices made at the very highest level and that some of those horrible personnel choices did result in failings or failures of implementation of the Trump agenda as he ran in 2016. So so what I'm I'm hopeful going forward um, th- that we can have a, a, a conversation as conservatives where you don't just have people screaming MAGA in everyone's face as if that right. solves the issue here, because I, I, I want to be you know, I'm, I'm enthusiastic about the future or I should say I'm, I'm optimistic about it. And and I agree with you about 2016 and what Trump was saying then to the degree one can be. But I think we also have to be honest about what did not work or what did not get done. And also the fact that Trump Trump lost this election. Right. And I think people still have, you know, when he stands up there and says, you know, I'll, I'll beat them again. I know he's saying because of the changes and everything else in the fraud, but it was a loss. It still goes down in the books as an L right now. That has not changed. Right. And and we need to understand how and why that happened and not just think, oh, the next. It, here's here's what I'll say. If we were on the 2020 playbook again in four years, Trump will lose that. I'm very confident on.
4: I think so. I think that's right. And I think the, the way that I have framed this to people who also double down, you know, Trump won and it was just fraud. That's the reason he's not president right now. The, the way I'll frame it is this. Look, uh, if, if he lost legitimately he lost. If he lost because he did not take precautions ahead of the election, although there were all these warning signs, uh, 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 same as you, I'm not going to name names, but I was in contact with people in the White House, and they and I asked them, like, did you guys know that th- something like this was going to happen? And the answer I got was, yeah, there, there were red flags. Like, we were aware that there was something going on, that Democrats were changing rules for voting in, in, in critical areas and things like that. But the, the view of the administration was we're going to win in such a huge landslide that we can slam through anything that happens. Like we're just going to basically brute force break the wall, and obviously that didn't happen. So, in either case, Trump lost either legitimately or because of a failure of planning and personnel, because the people around him also apparently this is how like how most of them were thinking like oh this, you know, uh, this is such an unstoppable machine that you know whatever they throw at us we're just going to crush. That didn't happen. So in other case, he lost. And the question is, did he learn from that? Uh, you know, If he doesn't want to think that he lost legitimately, okay, fine. But does he acknowledge that the people around him uh, misled him, that, that they gave him the wrong information, that they, they lulled him into a false sense of security? Does he acknowledge that? And is he willing to make a fundamental change in his personnel philosophy? His endorsements suggest no. And who he's aligning himself with uh recently also suggests no like i think that one of the big ones is like kevin mccarthy who he's chosen as like his post presidency wingman mccarthy was instrumental in saving uh liz cheney's hide who then after he saved her she turns around and basically condemns mccarthy for his for his affiliation with trump and then you know mcconnell does this strange 180 where he goes from basically trying to burn the trump house down to basically saying i fully support trump running in 2024 So there's there's some kind of like horse trading that's going on beyond uh, behind the scenes, which boils down to Trump willing to compromise with people who are like uh, establishment people who we otherwise don't really want to have a lot of influence over policy going forward. And I I worry we're speaking
1: we're speaking to Pedro Gonzalez uh, of American greatness and Pedro, I worry (sighs) that the 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 promise of Trump or the the idea of Trump at this stage now might, in, in, in the minds of a lot of people, I mean, yeah, the CPAC straw poll had Trump at like 70% or something of, of people wanted That's Trump to run five. again. And I, I just hope that everyone understands that, you know, he didn't win this election, okay? So we all need to stop thinking that, you know, oh, well, he's clearly going to win the next one because he actually won this one. When, when I say he didn't win, I'm saying, by the way, it, it, people always come back to this, you don't think there was they'll say that you don't think there was fraud. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying who is president now? OK, that's what I'm saying, that this was a this was a contest between two you know two political candidates. One of them is president. The other is not. And the idea that if we just do the same kind of thing or we put the same candidate forward uh, with the same. I mean, look, I'll say this his what he said yesterday. Some of the stuff about Biden was good. Some of the things that were were said um, you know, over the weekend at CPAC by by Trump we're good. But uh, a lot of it, you say, well, this is kind of the stump speech he was giving in 2020. And, you know, there's so much of CPAC was focused on big tech. I see it and I tell people, okay, Trump had some great tweets about big tech. He talked about it. Republicans didn't do a damn thing when they could about big tech. We need to be honest about that. Yes,
4: that's exactly right. And It's difficult, right, because we're trying to separate the man from the movement or or see the two things independent of each other. And that's difficult because Trump, the man, is so intimately associated with the movement. Uh, But this is this is blinding, I think, because you, you start to lose sight of what is really happening. And you instead get hyper focused on basically just the rhetoric and the tweets. So to your point about Trump complaining about tech censorship, Trump gave a direct line of communication to Silicon Valley, uh, to the White House, through the Office of American Innovation. Like Tim Cook, uh, Apple, the CEO of Google, um, all of these people who are now crushing conservatives online were able to uh, like go in and out of the White House and, and like consult with people like Ivanka Trump over policy. Uh, Tim Cook was able to actually prevent H-1B reform in 2017 by working uh, through the Office of American uh, through the OAI uh, with Jared Kushner and like his his associates, and they were basically able to to convince Trump to not do H-1B visa reform in 2017. So to your point, like we have to see things clearly, and Trump could serve a really good role by like I said, uh, uh, giving uh, the nod to worthwhile candidates, but instead he's trying to do both things, and it doesn't look like he's going to do both either thing well. I'm. I'm also. I'm. I'm trying to
1: get everyone to understand this because, you know, even early on, I was a, I was a critic of the, of the you can't have your kids in the White House as senior advisors thing, and right. and I got a lot of pushback from the MAGA faithful about this because they would say, well, he needs people he could trust, and and I understand the desire to want to find a way to not. You know, people were very excited about Trump and the you know the the promise of Trumpism and all this stuff. But I understood how this would actually work in practice, and now again to conversations I had, including at CPAC with people whose names everybody listening to this would know. But I was speaking them off the record about it, right, right. Um, and and the way it worked in practice for everybody who understands. Like why I don't have I don't I have no personal problem with like Jared Kushner for example. It's not a it's I know how these things go, and if you you know disagreed with Jared on criminal justice reform, which by the way was the approach to BLM in the summer of 2020 was a disaster. And Jared had his had his fingerprints all over that. The Trump White House was trying to initially trying to be conciliatory and concede. And there was all this. That was a disaster. But if you if you were a vocal voice saying, don't do this. Well, then Jared just shuts you out from from actual access to the president on everything else. This is what people need to understand. So he was in a position to say, oh, you're not going to go with me on this thing. Well, then on on, you know, your trade agenda or on or on immigration, you don't get to you don't get to see the president. You don't have the president's ear, or he'll even undermine that person with the president. That's the way it was actually working in that White House.
4: Right. Right. And this and again, like you said, this is not about picking a fight with one individual who happens to be Trump's son-in-law. This is. Like personnel is policy. We say that all the time, but I don't think we really appreciate how much like what that actually means. And this is the worst uh, case study of that, of delegating to someone like this, who really kind of operated like a prime minister. And I like I personally knew really, really good people uh, among the very few who were really close to the president uh, and were really competent and totally aligned with us in terms of America first. And this is what they experienced when when they would voice opposition to things that Kushner and his associates would want to do. Like you would notice that uh, he wouldn't get attached to like emails anymore, or they wouldn't get called to meetings anymore. Like th- this was a real thing. And I don't think uh, people understand it enough. And if you bring it up, it's kind of dismissed as like, well, that's a secondary concern well no it's not because personnel like who you have on staff is going to define the agenda in reality except like forget about the rhetoric like the law and order tweets and all that stuff personnel is going to decide what you'll actually get out of an administration out of a candidate
1: I totally agree we're speaking to Pedro Gonzalez he's, a, he's at American greatness so Pedro I, I just I'm trying to find a way to speak to people across the country Uh, About, you know, my my hope here is that we will have a a, you know Trump machinery, uh, Trump machinery, ideology, ideas, movement, but that it isn't all wrapped around one. Because, I mean, I've said this his his age is a real factor here. And people I know don't like to hear that. But, you know, he's going to be Joe Biden's age the next time around. And I said Joe Biden was too old and I think he is too old, you know. So I think that's a concern health can deteriorate very rapidly. And when I say deteriorate, I don't mean anything terrible happening, but I just mean, you know, you slow down, you get more tired. That's what happens when you get close to being 80 years old. And I, I worry that people are still so emotionally invested in Trump that nothing else will be acceptable to them and that we'll be leading the Republican Party off a cliff, essentially, unless we kind of figure out that's the way is not to put out all, all the eggs in the, in the Trump as person basket.
4: Right. No, that's exactly right. I, and I think that it's, it's, I found that it's often the case that when people ask you, well, if not Trump, then who? And my answer is someone like DeSantis or Josh Hawley or even Tom Cotton. I mean, these are all people I'm critical of. I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect political, uh, political candidate, but I think that there are alternatives. Um, but it's often the case that what I'll hear in response is, like, you know, those candidates will somehow fall short of Trump. And the argument is always trump's celebrity like that trump's celebrity is the most important aspect of trump uh and i don't think that's actually a good argument because what you're saying is and and it often the the criticisms of like the santa's hollycott whatever whatever criticisms you make of them they can also apply to trump and so it always boils down to his celebrity that's not good because what you're kind of what you're unwittingly admitting is that it's based exclusively on his personality and not like nothing substantive and that's that's really not a good place to be.
1: I hope we can continue to have this conversation among Republicans, conservatives, all the GOP faithful out there. And, and everyone realize that it's one that needs to happen, folks, because, uh, you know, it's I know it's, it's kind of like a exciting line for people to hear, uh, you know, for Trump to say, I'll win a third time. He didn't win the second time. And we need to figure out if he's going to run again. We got to make sure he wins the next time. All right. and And that's going to require a lot. Of preparation, conversation, and and even a little bit of soul searching within the GOP for what's really going on here. But let's uh let's make sure we check out American Greatness, our friend Pedro Gonzalez writing there. Pedro, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com.
1: Boston public schools suspend advanced academic program due to racial equity concerns you're going to see more of this the democrats push this idea all the time now this was from the CollegeFix.com, fix.com it's a story it's been all over the place uh, a lot of people covering this one last few days uh, the boston public school system is getting rid of an advanced learning program for fourth fifth and sixth graders because who wants to guess too many white and asian students too many white and Asian students It's not good. Not allowed. Not allowed. It's a problem. This is what they're telling you. They're saying it's a problem. And this is something that comes up in other contexts, too. I, I always tell you about the story that happens. Well, it's really an ongoing story, but it'll, it'll get a bunch of attention every couple of years where the most elite public school in New York City called Stuyvesant High School uh, was is something like 70 percent plus Asian. And. There is it's a there's a small, a much smaller percentage of the school is black and Latino than is representative of the New York City population. And so they view they say this is a problem. But instead of addressing, well, how do we work in more, you know, work at more uh, predominantly black and Latino schools to get more students into, into the school? What they do is they say, no, the issue is let's just change it at the end. Let's just give the benefits. Let's treat everybody as though they've achieved the same degree of academic um, academic uh, excellence, when that's clearly not the case. That's what equity means. Equity means at the end, it's it's equality of result. And increasingly, Democrats have have transitioned to that. And I think that's in large part because so many of their programs meant to address equality issues have been unsuccessful right they've they've been unsuccessful that it hasn't really changed and so what they do is they they treat this they treat merit as essentially an identity politics spoil system you know so merit isn't really a thing there's just what do different groups get and how do we and, and how can we distribute that to make those groups happier and give us political power it's not about what what does any individual earn it's not about having principles it's just Well, we're going to have more of a giveaway to this group than that group because we want them to vote for us. It's very, very damaging for society. And they do this. Democrats keep coming up against this in cities across the country. They won't address the real issues and real concerns and real ways to work with this. Nope. They just want to change the numbers around so that they feel good about the end result and call it equity.
0: Is the Buck Sexton Show Podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call.
1: All right, Roll Call, everyone. Uh, let's get into it right away here, and we've got roll call for sure. Kent uh, writes, "Tucker, you are the best." Courtesy of Mark's joke, making me choke on my beverage. See, Mark, this is what you've done now. Now everyone thinks this is so funny. Now they keep calling me Tucker. That's you know?
2: fantastic. Did people come up to you and see back and do it because I? Would no, look. nobody oh. came
1: up. Oh, we did somebody? I don't know. Maybe the first day I was super. I had for for no apparent reason. The first night I was in Florida, I was really happy to be down there. Actually, you know, my I, I had a i had a comfortable bed. You know, everything was fine. I could not sleep a wink. I have no idea why. Total, complete insomnia my first night down in Florida. So I was like walking around. If you saw me that first, uh, what was it, Thursday, folks, of CPAC, I, I looked like I was, you know, one foot out of the grave because I felt just Man, when you don't get a night's sleep, you, the next day, you're just like, Meh. it's like a mummy walking around. It was not good. Uh, and I had to do a show and all kinds of interviews and stuff. But I got through it because I'm the Buckster. That's how we roll. Right, Mark?
2: Absolutely. Even though you're always tired, you still do a good show.
1: Yeah. yeah. Thanks. That's right. Yeah. So we got through it. But no, people uh, people are the Tucker joke. I appreciate it. It's fine. Pablo. Hey, Buck, I was thinking about the difference between the Trump first 100 days and the Biden first days. Trump was being lambasted with how racist he is, and he was giving billionaires a big tax break. This tax break led to many companies giving raises or bonuses to their employees. As a small business owner, this uh, this was welcome and our employees received well-deserved raises. Day one, Biden has created a large hole in the oil industry, causing many high paying jobs to be lost. Living in Alaska, we had waited for years to open uh, Anwar, but again, day one of the Biden administration, it was closed. So much for governing for every American. The actions of President did benefit a lot of Americans, or President Trump did benefit a lot of Americans. So far, Biden has hurt a lot of people, most of whom are either right leaning or work in a very right leaning industry. Shields high. Uh, yeah, Pablo, that's what I've been saying. It's not even like the stuff that Biden's doing. I disagree with, but I recognize it's going to be great for a lot of people or it's going to give a really clear, worthwhile uh, benefit to the American people overall. A lot of what Biden's done is very narrow, very uh, self-interested for him politically, but but for special interests. And that, that's really what their what their main concern is. That's really what they're most focused on. Richard Buck do you remember how back in the day the communist Russians would give their female Olympic athletes testosterone and steroids to give them the advantage. Sometimes the rumors said that the commie woman athletes were really men dressed as women. The West especially America would denounce it and mock the commies. How do we go from that to this transgender sports madness of today. Why is it not mocked with the same fervor. This is not swords that identify as shield's high. Uh, Richard. I do remember people talking a lot about and and pointing out the the clear unfairness of I think it was like the East German swim team or something in particular people would say and uh, where they would have athletes. You'd say, is that person really female? And and uh, there are cases and it's worth noting there there are people who are biologically have some of a gender crossover situation. But that's not what transgenderism is transgenderism is a psychological, uh, purely psychological reality. It's not there's no physical. You do not have to have any physical manifestation of anything to be considered transgender. So remember that it's a different thing to talk about the rare cases where there are some of the reproductive organs of both sexes present that can happen. Um, I there's a term that people use for it, but I want but that's not the term people like to use anymore if there's another I think I think it's um, intersex might be the way they do I think that's how it's described now, properly described. Uh, but yeah, the reason Richard to answer your question about transgender athletes and and why this is not being made fun of the way that would have in the past, it's because it's now considered part of a civil rights crusade. So, what the left believes is that if you have a problem with transgender, this is what the true hardcore left believes. If you have a problem with transgender, you know, track and field, um, you know, athletes, let's say, you are really no different uh, than, than somebody that had, you know, a problem with, uh, you know, women women in the workplace or something. I mean, you're you're a bigot. Uh, You're somebody who was, you know, it's it's not that different in in the left's mind from say, you know, being opposed to interracial marriage, even or something. They view this as as part of a moral crusade, and they're on the right side, and anybody who is opposed to them is on the wrong side, and that's definitely um, that definitely includes for them transgender, all transgender issues. So, just when you when you put it in that context, I think you can understand much more clearly why the left. Views us the way they do, even though there'll be obvious manifestations of it, like a guy, you know, a a biological male who's much larger, stronger and faster than the females, comically. So and and we've seen examples of this already and will win all these different trophies and events and things uh, that 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 is clear. We can all see it. It doesn't matter. It's worth the absurdity of it because it's it's a civil rights struggle. That's how they see this. And they view civil rights struggles as, as on all sort of the same moral plane, too. They view civil rights struggles as, you know, once it's under that banner, it's all the, the same moral imperative is behind it. So just noting that's why I also want to take a moment. To say, I really appreciated how many people came up to me and had really nice things to say about the radio show at CPAC. I know that people listening to this on whatever, 200 stations, something like that across the country and. A vast majority, not a vast majority probably you know one in a, one in a thousand people listening to this actually were at CPAC but uh, it really was nice especially these days it feels pretty isolating to be a conservative in New York City and to be able to see folks who came up with me and they wanted to take photos and everything else I it's it's really appreciated that's all I'm, I and I mean that I always think it's so funny when people feel a little hesitant they're like hey can I, is it okay of course. You like my radio show? I, put my, I pour my life into this thing. It's like I sit here at the radio mic and open a vein for three hours every day. So if, if you're getting utility out of it, if, if it entertains you, if it informs you, that's it, the best. I mean, I love hearing that. So, and people who also come to me and say that this is now, that I am, I am now their favorite radio show, and a lot of people said that, uh, that I am, I am now their favorite radio show, um, you know, that was very meaningful. So I appreciated that, too. And I hope you'll help spread the word. Uh, Thomas, Buck, love you and listen every day. Thanks for keeping me safe and warm at night. The other day you gave a kind of backhanded dismissal of President Trump's tax cuts. While I understand the point you're making regarding what else should have been accomplished, I do believe downplaying of the tax cuts is misleading. Just yesterday you were bragging about the economy President Trump passed on to his successor. But the very foundation of this economic boom was those tax cuts along with the deregulation. Just a thought. Please keep up the great work. Uh, Thomas, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think you understand the context in which I said it. I obviously liked and support the tax cuts. But, you, you know, now now I'll come with the other side of this, uh, you know, the, the other side of the coin here. Democrats try to make structural, long-term changes to economics, to health care, to immigration. Republicans fiddle with the tax rate. Now, that doesn't mean that fiddling with the tax rate isn't important. It is, but it is temporary. And so there's always a limitation on this uh, that we deal with. And uh, and I think that Trump on the economy, in a lot of ways, what, what he actually, deregulation was good, although those regulations are coming back, but it was just a pro-business attitude that was, he was not looking to punish uh, capitalists for doing you know for running their businesses to make a profit and you look at the Obama administration before them and yeah if you're big tech I mean there are companies that Democrats favor big business and big government like each other they go hand in hand but when you start to look more at some of the other things that uh, that Trump could have done uh, I, I think that there were some misses look uh, you know okay yeah the economy was good for all well, now it's not you know I mean it's and I say it's not. I mean, we're in lockdowns. There's a lot of things going on right now that are that are distorting the situation. But there needed to be more done than just tax cuts, I guess, Thomas. That's and I think, you know, what I was saying on that. But your point is fair and that, you know, I can say tax cuts were not enough, but that's not to say tax cuts were not good. And I should be I, sh- I should maintain that balance. Tax cuts were good, but we needed more than that. Eric. Love your show. I find myself using your voice imitations when making fun of libs with coworkers. I'm up in North Idaho where we have a mask mandate imposed by some unelected officials at the the local health department. Very few people comply. The sheriff announced that they will not enforce it. I can go anywhere that I want except Costco without a mask. We even have full restaurants where employees do not wear masks. On the flip side, I work across the border in Washington where everything is still more or less shut down Everyone in Washington drives over to Idaho to go to bars and shop without a mask. We also have better COVID numbers than the county in Washington. My son has been in preschool this whole time with zero precautions, no kids with masks, no teachers with masks, no plexiglass, nothing. Zero COVID cases at his school. These blue states are out of their mind. I don't know how you do it. Keep up the fight. Uh, Eric, yeah, look, I first of all, I appreciate you like the show. And second of all, I'll just say that, yeah, the, the Democrats, this is not they're not doing this it's not a reality-based world they're living in this is not rooted in what is best this is not rooted in what is um you know the facts driving this this is politics now and i will say in florida you have people they the, the, the everyone was kind of like, all right, yeah, mask mandate. But it was like, you know, put it on when you can. We know it's not perfect. Don't worry about it. You know, there were there. The the attitude was very different and much more sane than the attitude that you get in um, New York City, where where people view you as a moral monster. If you if you're in violation of a mask statute. Like you're you're putting them. I'm being serious with you. Your their attitude, the overwhelming attitude of New York City is, oh my gosh, you're supposed to have a mask on and you don't. You are putting my life at risk. That's really what they think. In Florida, even you know, we were at CPAC in Orlando at the Hyatt, and I give Hyatt credit for not not bending the knee to the the outrage mob that came after them because that did happen too. But you know we're we're in in Florida and the Hyatt didn't didn't bend the knee, but you had. People were standing around with mask up signs up and stuff like that, but I'll say that at least and a couple of times I was told put them pull my mask up because I had to pull it down for photos and things. Uh, it just was far less intense and just more reasonable. I mean, People need to calm down, but they won't because they won't calm down until, until Fauci tells them it's OK.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show.
1: Next up, Ethan. Hey, Buck, I was glad to hear your take on the Terminator movies the other day. I agree there was only the first Terminator and T2. These supposed subsequent movies do not need to exist because they were awful and T2 ended it perfectly. Twenty years later, I still think T2 is my favorite action movie of all time, possibly tied with True Lies. Arnold put out some good stuff in his day. Cue up the good work and the great movie taste. Well, Ethan, clearly you have great uh, movie taste. So let's let's start with that. Thank you so much for uh, writing in. And I, True Lies is a little silly, a little too silly for me in some parts, like a little too absurd. I know it's a kind of action comedy. Uh, but you know, where they had the person on the missile getting fired at the other. I'm like, come on, do we have to, is it really going to be that? silly? it's, it got a little, a little crazy meat that I'm just gonna say T2 is a fantastic a plus action movie that definitely belongs in the top 10 all time. And you could certainly make the case is, is the number you can make a case. It is the number one action movie uh, of all time. So uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on all that. Uh Producer Mark, have we asked if you have a favorite action movie?
2: Huh. I probably do. I just, off the top of my head, it's hard to say the best action movie I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of them.
1: Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of good action movies out there. I feel like as a genre, it's died down a little bit. You don't have quite the same kind of guys with giant muscles running around with machine guns shooting all the bad guys movies you used to have. There's still some of that, but there's a lot less. Brian, hope you enjoyed CPAC. Really wish I could be there. I work remotely in PA, and I've been very... I rate with the handling of the pandemic and election by Governor Tom Wolf. Not quite as bad as Cuomo, in New York. Wolf is out at the end of next year. If you see your buddy Sean Parnell down there, see if he'd throw down his hat in the ring for Pennsylvania governor. We need to turn this Pennsylvania back to a Republican-run state. I know Sean would win. O'Brien, oh, uh, I love that idea. I would, I would back Sean Parnell for governor with everything I had, just like I tried with uh, his congressional seat. Uh, Sean would be a great governor for the state of Pennsylvania. Actually, I'll raise it with him. I don't you know. Sean, Sean's going to run again for something and he's going to win. So he'll he'll it's just a matter of time before he's a, a an elected Republican that's pursuing a a MAGA agenda and doing so uh, as a also a, a former combat veteran, bestselling author, etc. You guys all know Sean's a good friend of mine. hes He's a great, great dude. And I think he'd be an excellent, uh, excellent governor, excellent congressman, you name it. So I will pass that along. Um, All right, Daniel. Hey, OSS, where is our furry comrade commie bear? Quick question. Can we please start calling Biden Uncle Joe? It's a perfect nickname for him. I don't think ours is quite as communist as the original, but I could see people saying, well, certainly Uncle Joe doesn't know it's this bad. Add to that, ours is imitating the original by clearing the military people who are politically undesirable. As always, shields high. And never forget. It's all in the reflexes, Daniel. Um, I hear you on uh, on Commie Bear. I don't know. I, I've thought about trying to bring him back, but it's he's he's difficult to work with. It's not an easy thing. For those of you who are original Saturday Squad, you know what I'm talking about. The rest of the country is like his buck, having some kind of a some kind of a psychological break with reality. But uh, I'll, I'm definitely considering it, Daniel. I've been considering it for years, as some people know. But uh, it might it might happen. As for Uncle Joe, yeah, I kind of I kind of think that I, I see you're saying not that many people know that Stalin was referred to by by FDR as Uncle Joe. So I don't know if everybody would catch the reference, but I like where your head's at on it. Team, good to be back in the Freedom Hut, not uh, on the road. Thanks for being here with me. Please do spread the word about the podcast Pass the buck. Tell them, to listen, the to Buck Sexton show shields high.